when we feel this guilt come up, it's important to step back and start to explore what are these impossible standards that are operating under the surface that are really leading to us having all this undeserved guilt and are sabotaging, you know, how we set boundaries, how we ask for what we need, and really like true kind of closeness in our relationships. Because ultimately, when we're not asking for what we need, yet we're feeling overburdened, that's when resentment's developed. I know you are doing the best that you can right now. Your relationships matter to you. You are important. And yet over time, we get stuck. We get lost or we stop showing up as our true self. We get hung up on the stories we tell ourselves, the comparisons, or feeling like we are not good enough. I'm Not Your Shrink is a podcast aimed at helping you feel connected to yourself, to others, and to live a life that is in line with what matters most to you. I'm Dr. Tracy Dalglish, clinical psychologist and couples therapist. I bring you clinical knowledge and evidence-based research, experiences of sitting in the therapist chair, and being a wife and mother to talk about everyday issues we all face to help you change the dialogue in your life. Let's dive in. Hey there, and thank you for tuning in to another episode of I'm Not Your Shrink. Today, we are diving into the mental load with Dr. Morgan Cutlip. I am so excited to dive into this really important topic so that we can help to strengthen our relationships. Morgan Cutliffe is a wife, mom to Effie and Roy, and holds a PhD in psychology. She is a lifelong lover of all things relationships, and I can attest to this that her Instagram page is amazing. She develops online relationship courses and resources at LoveThinks and manages the blog at mylovethinks.com. Join her on her Instagram page at mylovethinks and check out her new course, The Mother Load, helping couples unite to tackle the mental load. Let's dive into today's episode. Morgan, thank you so much for joining me here today. Now, before we get started, I want listeners to get to know you. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us three things that make you who you are? Yes. This was actually the question I had to give the most thought. I don't know what that (laughs) says about me. Um, Well, I'm really happy to be here though, by the way, too. Um, Okay. Three things about me. So one, I'm very self-conscious. Growing up, this this was like my nemesis. I feel like I just was so self-aware. I, I felt awkward a lot of the time and was very shy. And as I've gotten older, I've kind of channeled this to be something that I think really helps me, helps me understand people's perspectives. So that's a big part of who I am. Um, that's also, awesome. I'm, just having that awareness of yes. other people, eh? Like, you, you know, you think of what leads us to be in our careers and often things that we really struggle with about ourselves early on actually become these strengths for who we are. Exactly. Uh, another is I'm resourceful. I, I feel like I can pretty much figure most things out. Something I like about myself. Um, I do a lot of researching and learning and tweaking. And, and so um, that's a big part of who I am and what I do in my work too. It comes in handy. Yes. That's so demonstrated by your Instagram series. Aww. I always love following your series that you have. You put so much effort and thought and knowledge into those squares on Instagram. Thank you. <laughs> it feels like it. <laughs> the feeling is totally mutual though. I love what you do. Thank you. 
Uh, the last one is peace. I've come to realize this within the last couple of years, which is crazy that I didn't know this, but peace is very important to me. I think it's a core part of my personality that I need it. It's part of what I struggled with early on in motherhood because I have very loud, um, strong-willed kids oh, and yeah. who like to, you know, who kind of like my daughter thrives off of a good power struggle. So, uh, I've learned just, you know, this is part of who I am and it's, it's part of how I'm triggered. And, um, my favorite thing is like, just give me clean counters, um, give me little few knickknacks. I don't like, you know, I just like peace (laughs) in my space (laughs) and in my relationship. So that's a big, big part of who I am too. Oh, thank you for sharing those pieces about you. And I, I know those things really come in hand for you when it comes to the work that you do and the mother of who you are and also in your relationship. I mean, I think sometimes what people forget is that we also put these strategies into our relationship. We don't, you know, we also work really hard and implement this yes. into our own relationships. So we are diving into the mental load, which is such Mm. a hot topic and it's so important. Um, But, you know, I think before we even jump into some of the things that we can help listeners with is I'd love to hear from you if you have your own story of dealing with the mental load, knowing that you're a mom of two. (laughs) I feel like I could just like use this as my own therapy (laughs) session. Let's dive in. So, I mean, quite honestly, I sucked at the mental load stuff. Like I, I took it all on myself. I think this is why I have such a passion for this and really kind of um, dissecting it and trying to get to the bottom of it is because I struggled so much with it um, for so many reasons, right? But um, I did it all. I took it all on. I started to feel resentful and frustrated and burned out, just so, so tired. And, you know, part of what the reason I think I took it on, you know, part partially is like this guilt thing, which I know we'll get to. Um, part of it is I grew up in a family with really traditional roles. And so it was mm. just, I was just doing what I saw, um, which is fine. You know, if I didn't have other responsibilities going on and if it felt good to me, it didn't feel good to me. So that's when I knew it was something that had to change. And, you know, part circumstantial when our, um, our firstborn, our daughter was born uh, when she was two months, my husband got relocated to California where we live now. And I was, um, on the other side of the country. So I did that first, um, you know, eight months kind of mm. solo. Yeah. And so that's, that's I was lot. doing it all. Yeah. And he, you know, with the firstborn, you know, he didn't know what was going on. And so he missed a lot. And so it just naturally all kind of fell on my plate. Right. Yeah. And, and what do you think really helped? Like, what was that defining moment for you guys where it's like, okay, I can't keep doing this all. And I've got this guilt, but something needs to shift. Yeah, I think it, it came late for me. So my kids now are four and in about a week, I have, I'll have a seven-year-old. So it came pretty late. I feel like I just, <laughs> I've just kind of hit my stride within the last couple of years, but I just hit the wall. I mean, that was really it. Like I just was done. Right. Um, I noticed feeling a lot of frustration and resentment. Um, I'm feeling that feeling of like... Um, how come his life stayed the same and mine's changed? Mm-hmm. That kind of line just kept kind of reverberating in my mind. And I, I knew I was like, something's got to give. And so part of what changed was that I just started 
asking for what I, what I needed and dealt with those feelings of guilt little by little. Mm-hmm. Um, and started to almost like have a healthy sense of entitlement. I <laughs> think of like, you know what? I mean, we, we both deserve some time and some space and some help. And this isn't, I didn't have this kid on my own. And so, um, I, I asked for what I needed. And when I asked, I didn't ask, you know, with, with an attitude, I asked graciously and, and, um, mm-hmm. You know, he was always really willing. I think, too, there's always circumstances that help, you know, and I know we'll get into this, but so much is invisible. So right. those circumstances that helped things become visible. So I, I may have said this to you before when we did our live, but I sent him to the pool one day with the kids. Yes, I and love I did. the story. Please tell it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I was like fed up and it's ridiculous looking back now that I know what I know, but you know, our, our son was already born, which means our daughter was at least three. And so it was many years in and I was like, I'm losing my mind. Take the kids to the pool. I'll meet you there. It was the first time I didn't do anything for him. I just sent him on his way and he mm-hmm. got to the, you know, I, I show up at the pool a couple hours later and he literally took nothing except sunscreen like they had no change of clothes. They had no towels. They had no snacks, which if you have little kids, you know, you snacks are like an emergency essential. And, um, you know, and it, and it was annoying. Honestly, it was annoying. It was like, seriously, we're this many years in, you don't know that you need to pack this stuff. It's common sense, but, but you know, everyone was fine. Everyone was having fun. And I think that let me know that, you know what, this guy doesn't know what's up because I've taken care of so much. And so I started to pull back and I started to ask more and kind of, I guess, coach a little bit, coach him a little bit. And, you know, this is what you got to do before you go, make sure you got these things um, until he started understanding what he's got to do. And then, um, and then I actually had to have a surgery, which that's another story, but um, that left me pretty much unavailable for a week. And he was on his own and, he didn't have any, you know, his mom didn't come into town or nobody was here to help him. There was no and support. No support yeah. that time. Usually there was some support and um, he really stepped it up. And when I, you know, came to, you know, was back involved in the day to day, it was nice. I would come out and he'd be packing lunches totally on his own. Mm. It's like, oh, this is so nice. So it took him living in my shoes a little bit. I think right. to, to, to move into that initiation type of space. So. Yeah, you know, I think I, I want to make this explicit. because I think there's two things that you're talking about here that is really, that are really important. And that first one is that you are taking responsibility mm-hmm. and I know what comes up around, you know, the division of labor around the house and with kids in a relationship that oftentimes the thing that comes up is, the kind of finger pointing or blaming and, you know, they should just know. And it's a common comment that I get Mm -hmm. from people is that, well, they should just know. And, and yes, there is this element of, you know, wishing for other, our partners to know, but the other challenge here that's important is that we must take responsibility for how we've contributed to the dynamic in a relationship. Right. Yes. And, and I think that is so important of just being able to acknowledge like, yeah, I played a role in this. And then also um, being able to help our partners get on board. 
Support for today's episode comes from Cozy Earth. You know I am all about caring for ourselves, especially in these busy years with our young kids. We are pulled in so many directions, but I think it's so important for us to find ways to nurture ourselves that require no additional time from us. I should probably let you in on one of my favorite things to do to look after me, and that is to get a good night's sleep on amazing sheets. I am beyond thrilled to bring you Cozy Earth's luxurious bedding products with an exclusive Mother's Day offer just for my listeners. We've got a code. It's SHRINK, S-H-R-I-N-K, for 35% off at CozyEarth.com. Now, I didn't believe it until I tried them, but I firmly stand by my sleep improving with the temperature regulating technology, which adapts to your body's needs. For the past year, I have not slept on any other brand of sheets. Cozy Earth uses the very best fabrics, materials, and wares, offering superior softness for you to sink into at the end of those long days. I look forward to getting into bed, and we've been loving the sheets for over a year and their sleepwear is so unbelievably soft and it's made with such great quality but the best part is that if you're worried about commitment enjoy a 100 night sleep trial and a 10-year warranty on all of your purchases head over to cozyearth.com and use promo code shrink for an exclusive 35 percent off and give the luxury she deserves with cozy earth Support for today's episode comes from Loop Earplugs. For so long after having children, I kept wondering why I was easily overwhelmed and felt like an angry mom. The noise from the kids, the dog barking, and the sounds around me from everyday life. But I now understand that I'm not an angry mom, and instead, my nervous system gets overwhelmed and overstimulated, which is why I've been turning more and more to my loop earplugs to help me stay more regulated and engaged with the family. I'm using Loop Engage to help dampen the sound around me, and these loop earplugs allow me to still be with every beat and conversation. I still hear Greg. I can still hear the kids. I love that they are so comfortable and they come with eight silicone ear tips to ensure the right fit for you. The best part for me is that I take them everywhere with me. They are proving the test of time and not to mention they're stylish in my ears. Plus, we love the kids versions, which we've been able to take to the movies for our kids. I'm so excited that Loop Earplugs is offering you, my community, a discount so that you too can tackle that overstimulation while still being engaged with the activities and people you love. Visit loopearplugs.com and use my code Loop times Dr. Tracy for 10% off your order. That's L-O-O-P-X-D-R-T-R-A-C-Y for 10% off your order. Support for today's episode comes from ZocDoc. We all know there are things in life we have to compromise on, like the right way to load a dishwasher or whether those socks are going to stay on the floor for a week. Okay, in all seriousness, but when it comes to your mental health, there is no compromise. So we don't need to go back to that one therapist or one physician who didn't align with what we need just because they're available right now. We don't need to compromise on the care we need for our overall wellness. Instead, this is where ZocDoc comes in. This is a place where you can find and book hundreds of types of doctors, including therapists, psychologists, and psychiatrists. 
and you can find someone who will make you feel comfortable, listen to you, and prioritize your well-being. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare hundreds of types of patient-reviewed in-network doctors, including mental health providers, and instantly book appointments with them online. You can search by location, availability, and insurance. Go to ZocDoc.com I-N-Y-S and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. If I needed this app, this is one that I would be going to. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C.com slash I-N-Y-S and get the care that you need today. Yeah. I mean, I, I think um, what you're saying is incredibly important. I think that there, there is like this expectation that um, our partners are going to suddenly become initiators when maybe we haven't asked for that for a decent amount of our relationship, you know, Um, especially because I think the mental load really becomes a critical part of the relationship after kids. So, you know, I see this all the time where it's like all of a sudden kids are in the mix and we're like, why aren't you initiating? Why aren't you seeing all of these things? Even though all these years leading up to us having kids, maybe we've taken care of this stuff. Mm -hmm. So I, um, I talk a lot about this idea of, piling on precedents in our relationships. And I think this is, if we can kind of get a grip of on this, it kind of starts to um, clearly kind of outline, like, why are our partners not doing some of these things? But and I think early on in our relationships, we do stuff out of just love and care. Mm-hmm. And I think your example you've given my deodorant, the, your deodorant, my I deodorant example. You. <laughs> <laughs> you took care of it. Yes. Just to do something nice, right? Right. And that, I was that like, is such a great example of setting the precedent that out of love and caring and, and excitement of saying, yes. I'm going to buy it. Oh, I was at the store. I thought of you. I thought Here's of you. the deodorant. Yeah. <laughs> right. But then the challenge though, is that then I would start to get into that expectation around myself of, well, why aren't you thinking of me in the same way? Yes. And thinking that my partner should, should be the same as me and also doing those things when, why would he think to buy me deodorant? I've always yes. done it. Why would he yes. buy my toiletries? Right. Yes. And, and actually, you know, when I, I love how you're saying that it's like these precedents that we set early on, because I think talking about this stuff is so important even before children come along. Oh my word. Right. Absolutely. Just just laying the groundwork. And and I'm hoping that this episode really helps women to see that this isn't just for people or with children, that this is at any stage in a relationship that women we know tend to carry um, the uh, labor of the household relationships and the emotional work. Yes. Yeah. I mean, and and like you're saying, it's a really important conversation to have before kids, because I even know personally, I piled on a lot of my precedents before they came along. And so, um, you know, if you think about, for example, like how were you raised? What did you see in your parents? Different things like that. Um, This will kind of shape who you are as a partner. And so, uh, like I said, I came from a traditional home. I remember really early on being like, oh, I'll do the shopping, I'll make the dinner, and I'll even clean it up so you can relax because I'm taking care of you. Okay, well, that wasn't cool for very long, right? Where I'm I'm slaving over this dinner and then I'm doing the dishes. And it wasn't that right. I had a husband who wasn't willing to get in there with me and do the work with me. It's just that I took care of it. And if I took care of it, I relieved him of having to worry about it. Mm-hmm. And that's what happens with these precedences. I don't think our partners are like, ha ha ha, I tricked you. I think it's more like, great. 
that's off my plate. And it really is kind of out of mind at that point where they're not worrying about it. And so if you can talk about these things before kids are involved, it's going to greatly benefit you when kids come into the, and come into the picture. Yeah. It's almost a sense of like, you know, these roles that we just take on. And I can think of several women that I've worked with and, you know, it's, it's this aha moment when they are complaining about their partners and really struggling about what they do. When we start to look at, well, what's the role that was modeled to you growing up? And well, what yeah. are you doing right now? Oh, isn't that interesting that your role is the same as what your mother's was? And then yes. your partner's actually taken on their father or whoever's role, right? Or their mother's oh, role. Yeah. Um, without ever, you know, having this discussion around, what role we want to play. And it's like making how you said, you know, kind of making the invisible visible, our roles need to be spoken about in that way. Yeah. And I think a lot of time, um, we maybe we think that we went into our, you know, if you're married or it's long-term committed relationship, right? We went into this thinking we've maybe explored some of this stuff. But the thing is, is when you become a father or a mother or you have a kid like there's a whole nother set of roles and expectations that click in that were probably really like kind of unearthed and so I think that has a big impact on this on this dynamic as well so talking about expectations for who does what um, are you going to be part of night feedings are you going to you know early on is Mm -hmm. is just goes a long way to prevent some of this stuff from happening so where, where do women then tend to get stuck when it comes to addressing the mental load? Yeah, I think they tend to get stuck in a similar place that I got stuck, which is um, this expecting partners to initiate and not really having to ask them, I think is a big one that women sort of get kind of like fixated on. You should just know. Um, and part of this is because we just kind of touched on, which is they don't really discuss in advance the change of roles and what expectations are. So I think that's a big, a big one. And also, um, I think a lot of women are struggle with guilt around asking for help or asking their partner to take on more. So when, when I um, talk about the mental load, um, I tend to kind of divide it into two camps of where people struggle. One is the within. So these are like the internal processes that affect the mental load. And then the other is the between. So like the, the asking for help, um, that type of stuff, that's between. But I think a lot of the work around the mental load really is the within work. It's the, it's the mindsets we have. I call them um, self-sabotaging stories and behaviors that backfire. Oh, yes. So I think that's a big piece of it. So I give usually um, several examples so I can just kind of roll through those if you want. But Yes, I'd love to hear them because I'm already thinking one myself. And the one that comes up for me is often me. I'll just do it myself. It's just faster yes. if I do it myself. Totally. That's exactly one of them. So for this, the stories, I think that we all kind of have these stories we tell ourselves that ultimately self-sabotage in these moments. Um, a really common one is, if I don't do it, nobody will. And so this just perpetuates us taking more and more on and doing it before our partners have a chance or I, I, it won't get done right if I don't do it is another Mm. one. Um, But then these behaviors that backfire. So I have five of them. One is impatience. That's what you mentioned, which is like, (laughs) if if I ask you now, I want it done now. Right. right? And so if you haven't done it, so when are you going to do it? And I need to know. (laughs) And then we end up doing it anyway, because it's not happening fast Mm. enough. So that's a big one. Um, 
personalization is a big one too that just gets in the way um, because you know I, the example I give is um, this happened a number of times where my husband would sometimes you know toss his underwear on the floor right outside the shower and it would just be left there and I think that a lot of times in our relationships especially if we've been in our relationship a long time we can start to personalize these things. Um, oh my gosh, he doesn't care that I work so hard to keep the house, the house clean. He has no, this is disrespectful, right? All he doesn't think of of me. Yes. Yes. Yeah. When it's like, uh, he's probably thinking about his first meeting. He's overwhelmed. He wasn't thinking I'll just, it's not a big deal. Mm -hmm. Just pick them up. But this personalization can go, um, a long way and really clouding our attitude towards our partner. And this is going to trickle into then how we talk to them about, you know, needing help and maybe our, our, like how kind we are when we bring it up or amount of attitude when we bring it up. So this is a big one that can also backfire. It can create a lot of animosity and resentment in the relationship. Um, micromanaging is a big one. Oh, Um, yes. That's, yes. <laughs> it's a tough one. <laughs> so, I mean, a lot of times we're going to ask a partner to do something. We got to give them the space to do it um, instead of, you know, you, yeah, you're packing their lunch, but I, I, they need to do it this way or they need to have the snack or that's too much sugar or that's too much, you know, just right. give them the space to figure it out right. a little bit. It's It's not the end of the world, likely with the task that you're asking them to take over. Morgan, I can't, I can't stop laughing at this one because we have a generation of how like generations of how towels are folded (laughs) from the women. And I can remember with my partner, I was like, Oh dear, you're going to fold the towels that way. (laughs) I am, you know, proud or maybe not proud, but he now folds the towels in our way, (laughs) but that's That's converted him. (laughs) (laughs) They just fit really nicely that way. Like we we all have our things. But, but, you know, that's to say, like, you know, it, it's really important to just be able to recognize like, oh, great, you folded the towels and they are put away and done is yes. better than not done. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I think I need a tutorial because I think I'm pretty bad at folding <laughs> towels. <laughs> you don't want it. They're great. It's a great method, but you don't want it. <laughs> you know, a close one to micromanaging is criticizing. Yes. It's really similar, but that's something like, hey, get the kids dressed, he gets the kids dressed, and you're like, that's what they're wearing, you know, right. and, and these things just, you know, they just kill the spirit, right? They just right. completely shut them down. Um, it's not an encouraging way to, to involve your partner more in these tasks. It's like, why? At this point, this is when you get the lines like, why do I even bother? I don't do it right, right. anyway. And so it's really important to be mindful of these things. And One way I talk about it um, when I work with clients is that, you know, think about how many, if you just quantify this, how many times have you done whatever the task is, folded those towels, packed the kids' lunches? So if you can really expand that, it's probably like thousands of times. And so now you ask your partner to do it and it's their first time jumping in here to do it and they don't do it exactly right. Okay, well, let's give them 999 more times. Mm-hmm. You know, let's let them right. have some time and some space to perfect these, you know, I'm doing air quotes, no one can see me, but like to get it yeah. right, right? To find right. their method. So that's important too. One of the things that really comes up for me as I'm hearing you say this is what, what it's like to see the other partner in therapy. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, sitting in front of a couple and 
after doing some of the early stages of couples therapy and being able to access more of the primary emotions, like those softer emotions and those core longings, I think sometimes what, um, it's not always women, but what some partners who tend to be more critical, what they don't see is that underneath that partner who gets defensive or who is struggling and they say, well, why even bother? You know, underneath that, that we've all got stories where we all have our own struggles and that Mm -hmm. for some, you know, the story starts to sound like, what's the point of even trying? I feel like I can never get it right with you. And, you know, I can think of several stories of, you know, and I remember like with my dad, I would just try so hard to be able to help him with the car and I just couldn't get it right. And I dropped the screw and he said, how could you, you know, you can't even do that. Right. And so that we have to realize that how we, you know, how we self-sabotage getting them their help also is impacting our security and closeness Mm. in a relationship. Yes. Yeah. I love how you connected that to something so, so much deeper and something that can be really raw. And I think that, you know, um, some of the stuff with the mental load, like we're talking about it, you know, in this like little segmented category, but how you're bringing this out. I mean, the mental load might be a piece of what's going on in a relationship where the, the, usually the woman is feeling like this is so inequitable, like this is so unfair. Um, but when you look at how it's being talked about it and being um, discussed, it really can start to erode just the overall closeness in a relationship. And then that starts to trickle into so many things like, well, now we're not having sex anymore. And you know, now our commitment is starting to fail a little bit. And so, Mm. um, yeah, the, the stuff the is trust big. and security starts Absolutely. to starts to decline, and and then that's where that kind of those self reinforcing negative cycles that we know couples get stuck in. Yes. Right. Yes. But it, you're absolutely right. We're talking about this one piece that we can find strategies to address it. But yeah, that, you know, it's, it's the what's underneath this. What, what yeah. are some of the struggles that, you know, as someone who's listening to this, ask yourself, like when your partner doesn't help you with this, what's happening for you underneath that? How yeah. does it feel to be in that space? Yeah, it's a great question to ask. You know, I, I think one of the challenges that often comes up is this idea of, well, how will anything get done if I step back? Yeah. And I think, you know, it's kind of, this is a question that brings together some of the stuff that we've been talking about already. I think we have to really take a hard look at how did we get here? It wasn't like an overnight thing um, that all of a sudden, you know, we're here. It's, it's likely that, um, there is a whole bunch of precedents that we talked about that did get piled on, right? There are years and years of just taking things on without discussion that became these like unspoken agreements in our relationship. And so now we're all the way deep into it and we're so worried that nothing's going to get done, but you have to look at the path of getting there and then you have to start to kind of backtrack and undo some of that stuff. And part of that will might involve letting some of these things go, whether it's permanently or for a season as you're trying to, to transition out of being the one who's carrying the majority of the mental load. So then one of the things that often comes up is, you know, we, we let something go, we kind of pass it off to our partner, but then we still think about it, right? And you're saying that is actually one of the self-sabotaging behaviors is we micromanage it or we're checking in or we're criticizing. So then how does one really unload uh, some of these tasks? 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's, you said it, you know, it really does come back to looking at the, these within things. This is some of the within work. And this is some of the hardest work to do, really. I mean, the between is like conversations and, and making the invisible visible and some of that stuff. But that within stuff, it's like when you really do hand it off, that's when that work begins, where it's like when you're triggered um, because they're not doing it the right way, they're not doing it fast enough. It's important at that point that you sort of employ some skills or some mindset shifts or some mantras to keep you kind of in your lane during those times, right? So that you don't start to self-sabotage or criticize your partner or things like that. So um, some of this, you know, the level of depth varies. Um, if there are things in your history that are really driving these, these triggers, it might be time to explore that more deeply or maybe even with a professional. But um, at that point, that's really that within work to be like, giving your partner the space to fail and figure it out. That piece is so critical to really accomplishing handing off these tasks. Mm -hmm. It's so easy for us to sit here and to be able to say, you know, just unload and we have to do some of this internal work and it actually is really hard. And one of the things that actually comes up to mind for me is what I had talked about on one of the other episodes of this season, which is about pausing and that is the ability that we're not always on autopilot or that we are so quickly reacting, but that instead of that urge of going to say like, oh, did you get the, right? Yes. Don't forget the thing for the diaper bag. Or did you call your mother? Or just kind of that, that skill and that ability to step back and just notice that feeling inside of us. Yes. Just notice that urge to want to get in there and, and to say something and then just letting it just be there, right? We have urges all the time and we don't have to follow every single urge. We can just breathe into that and notice it and then make a different choice for what we, yes. what, what is connected to what really matters to us in that moment, right? And, and I know for women, what's important is that we don't want to keep doing this all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Okay. But I love then, that because that's so manageable and that's so doable. Like mm -hmm. to pause and to give it a minute and then choose a different response. That's totally manageable. And I think too, like you're, you're highlighting, you know, what is the goal here? Right. Is the ultimate goal to really relieve yourself of, of some of your burden, um, of the heaviness of your load. If that's the goal, then it's going to take choosing to do things differently, to respond differently. Right. And so I know what women will often say is in that moment, a lot of guilt shows up. Yeah. And you mentioned that that was something that showed up for you as well. What, what would you say to people who say guilt is just so strong? I say it is. <laughs> it really is. Yes, I mean, it, it I'm absolutely is. <laughs> I'm super deep in a series on guilt right now. So I'm thinking about this a lot, but I think that, um, so I'll kind of unpack the concept a little bit to hopefully then arrive at a place that feels manageable for everybody. But um, I think guilt is very real. I think it's something that we've just, it's become a common vernacular in society, right? Mom guilt, I just feel guilty, you know, but what is it? Where does it come from? And if we can start to define these things, it becomes really empowering then as to what we can actually do to manage them. So what's guilt? Guilt is this difference between who you are in that moment and who you think you should be, mm. right? So it's like violating some sort of um, agreement you've made with yourself about who you believe you should be. And I think, you know, 
guilt can be very productive. So I talk about kind of there being two types of guilt. So it can be productive or, or deserved, right? You cheat on a test, you feel bad, great. Then you admit your mistake, you take the mm-hmm. consequence, you learn from it. Um, healthy amount of guilt there. Uh, there's also unproductive guilt, which is what we're really talking about. Or it's like not even deserved. And so this is what creeps up when it's like, you got to wonder then, where does this guilt come from? And um, I believe that it comes from our sort of impossible standards that we hold for ourselves. And I think that this all sounds kind of um, theoretical, but when you start to apply examples to it, it becomes very clear. So um, I get, I I hear this one a lot. Um, It's one example of an impossible standard would be um, since I'm a stay at home mom, I shouldn't need breaks Mm -hmm. or I don't deserve help. Mm -hmm. And so part of what we need to do again, it's this within work when we feel this guilt come up, it's important to step back and start to explore what are these impossible standards that are operating under the surface that are really leading to us having all this undeserved guilt and are sabotaging, you know, how we set boundaries, how we ask for what we need and really like true kind of closeness in our relationships. Because ultimately when we're not asking for what we need yet, we're feeling overburdened. That's when resentments develop. So this stuff can really create a lot of um, hardship in your relationships. So if you can step back and explore these impossible standards, then you can start to revise them. So I talk about there being, um, this isn't complete, but like sources of influence of where these standards have developed or come from. So the, the easiest grab, the most obvious is just our early experiences growing up. Mm-hmm. You know, what did we see? What did we learn about how you should mother um, or what makes a good one or a bad one or all of these things? What do we see in our partners and our parents? Um, society is a big source of influence. Yes. Um, what are, what so are the much. messages that we have yeah. about being a woman? And that oftentimes yes. for us, it sounds like, we should do all of the household tasks, right? But that is still a very big belief that we have. Or, um, you know, even, so I'm hearing the impossible standards there of I should never need time for myself. Um, I should, you know, I'm just, I want to list them out loud because I think sometimes people don't know that they have them, but like I should, I should look after everybody. And, you know, I can even think of, everybody's birthdays like not just your own kids or your partners but then we're talking about in-laws and then you know like for people to know I love them I have to go all out and over the top yes right or for um to be a good mom I have to give all of me Mm -hmm. right it's like they're extreme and at right you know when you see them out loud it's like no 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 but when you really take a hard look at how you know you might be acting in your relationships it's like actually yes Right. Right. Yeah. Or to be like yeah. for people to know I love them. Right. I have to pour all of me into them mm-hmm. you know, or I can't ever fall short. These things, they they really get in the way for us. And I think, you know, in terms of society, what these messages are, you know, we're living in a time and mothering in a time. I mean, I'm stating the obvious here, but all of the messaging we get from social media, it's outrageous the amount of stuff we have to sort through that has this um, very intense influence on what we believe makes a a good mom 
right? And a good partner. And I think that that's one more thing that we're having mm-hmm. to battle when we're in the throes of motherhood and in our relationships. Right. So. Oh, you know, there, there's this one post that I did and I would just absolutely love for couples to take a picture of them after couples therapy, <laughs> just to write, but yes. like, uh, of course that's, you know, hard and, and yeah. messy, but it's exactly what people need to see, right? They need they to see the, the struggles. We don't need more um, filters and perfectly posed pictures. We need more real life experiences. And it's, it's just really, really hard. We don't see that. And then we create these expectations on ourselves of what it should look like. Exactly. And these, like, um, the way that these really get solidified for us is, is they just get reinforced over time. And so like what you're talking about, like kind of being bombarded with some of these things, it's like, we'll learn, hey, what's valued in our society? What's valued as a, as a woman, as a mother, as a partner? And then they're just reinforced. Bef- and then, into, you know, before we know it, there are these sort of set expectations that we hold mm. and these standards that we hold for ourselves. So um, that's just one way. There's others. But it's important, you know, if we're, if we're struggling with this guilt to really dig into this. And then there's things that you can do to start to kind of like combat this guilt. So... I always outline three steps. So what do you do with it? Well, one, I guess this is an extra step. Uncover these impossible standards. Mm-hmm. So what are they? So then write out evidence for and evidence against. against. This is cognitive behavioral stuff, right? Yep. Standard stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and then rewrite, rewrite it. Make it more realistic. Make these yeah. adjustments. But I like to add two extra steps. So then the next is create a one-liner for in the moment. Mm. So my sister, um, she rode horses. And there was always this thing that you would do when your horse would start to kind of get out of line where you would like squeeze your legs into them and gather the reins. And it would be called, you know, gathering the horse. So they Mm. would get into position. And so it's almost like what is the one-liner that like puts you back into position, gets you gathered. And so it's almost like a mantra or something that just sums up that revision in a snappy one-liner. So in the moment, it helps you pull it together and kind of recenter you Mm -hmm. on where you should kind of have your focus in that moment. And then the third is um, implement one behavioral change. So if we stick with this example of, you know, because I'm a stay-at-home mom, I haven't earned the right to ask for help. I want evidence for, evidence against, your revision. What's that one-liner for in the moment when that guilt is being triggered? Mm -hmm. And what is one behavior, like maybe once a week you get a sitter and you take that time and it'll feel really weird and you might not enjoy it at first, but you have to keep doing these things until before you know it, it starts to feel guilt-free in many ways. Yes. Yeah. I I often say to people that we need to do exactly what it is that you feel guilty for, Mm -hmm. because the more you don't, the more you feed the guilt. Yes. And then every time you want to go and take time for yourself or offload something to your partner, you feel guilty. You don't do it. Guilt gets bigger the next time you go to do it. Totally. And, And one of the the things that I love is to be able to say that sometimes if guilt shows up, that even when we do these cognitive strategies and they don't work, that sometimes maybe it's not necessarily that we have to act on it and follow the urge, but that we can just let it be, right? Yep, absolutely. It's, it's an emotion. There it is. Yes. 
And they're not always the best guide of our behaviors. Not always. No, not always. Sometimes, but not always. So, okay. So you mentioned the within piece, which I think is so important. And I do believe this is some of the hardest stuff, but let's talk about the between the relational piece, because what we've already alluded to is that what tends to happen when it comes to talking about this stuff is that couples get into this um, they get into the negative cycles, the criticism, the defensiveness, the one upping each other, where they just can't possibly talk about and change what, what needs to happen. So where do we go to get partners on board? Yes. So, um, yeah, I'm going to kind of answer one of your other questions too as I talk about this because you said, well, what about the partners that see, are seemingly resistant? Mm-hmm. So I think that um, this kind of all kind of wraps into one. So if you imagine a continuum, um, one side is this totally, completely resistant partner. Um, on the other side is this active initiator. This is our dream partner, right? They just see it and they do it. It's taken care of. They're buying our deodorant all the time. <laughs> and then in the middle, you have this like passive willingness, which I think is probably what a lot of us ultimately have. Mm-hmm. And so as we start to think about the between, it can be helpful to kind of think about this this continuum. And so what our goal is to kind of help our partner move along the continuum and what we need to do might depend on where our partner is. So I think, you know, one of the first things is just start asking. Um, And this is kind of a good gauge, right? Of if you have this passive but willing partner, if you ask them, they're like, sure, no problem type of response. And I think that's what a lot of us end up having. Um, But we feel a little irritated about asking. So then you go back to the within stuff. But, you know, in order to really undo some of these precedents that we've set over the course of how many years of a relationship, we have to start kind of um, involving them in the process. And in order to do that, we have to start raising their awareness to what needs done. So you have to ask. And Mm. I know people really resist this for some reason, but Mm -hmm. if you can really... Um, I, I often hear, well, I have asked before and nothing's changed. That's often the response. That's often the resistance. Um, if this happens, I always have a little bit of skepticism. So I would want to go back to the within piece and look at, are you doing any of those sort of um, behaviors that back, backfire, the micromanaging, the criticism, the impatience? Um, if you're like, no, I haven't done any of those things, then come back to this continuum of resistance you know, where is your partner? Um, if they're really resistant, then we're going to have to go down to some, some other options here, but really take a hard look at the within. Um, because a lot of times when you ask, I feel like the one that creeps up is the impatience. Mm. Like I asked, but then they didn't do it right away. So now I've done it. And so they've, they are like, great, that's taken care of. I don't need to to do it anymore. Yeah. Perpetuating it. So, um, ask, uh, I talk about asking two ways. One is in anticipation of things, um, which is kind of nice because then in the moment you don't have that irritation when it's, you know, you're like, get their shoes on or whatever it might be. So, you know, hey, tomorrow I have X, Y, and Z going on. Can you please take care of packing the kids' lunches and whatever? Um, the other is in the moment. Um, and that one you just mind, you know, be cognizant of, of how you're coming across in the moment. Hey, can you get their shoes on? We got to get going. Or 
are the water bottles packed? We need to have that. And these things are just heightening your partner's awareness to what needs done, involving them in this process. Um, so it doesn't have to come with the, you never do this, right? No. So we, oh. we, we, we need to kind of go back to that kindness and respect. And how would we talk to our friend if we wanted them to grab the water bottles for the kids? Yes. And I think part of that is this, you know, having some humility around this. And also, if you can, if you can get on board with the idea of these precedents, then it's like, then you're taking a little bit of ownership. Like we've got here together, mm-hmm. you know, I don't like it. And you're benefiting maybe more than I am, but we got here together. Mm-hmm. And so having a bit of grace when you ask for these things and you talk about I think this is so great of being able to talk about having this grace here. And I can remember that naturally it became my role to look after the daycare communication. When my son was going to daycare, I found the daycare, I did the meeting, and it really just became something that I took on. I was on maternity leave and I had the time, so I did it. And, and then over time, I just started to hand it over and give that role to my partner. So, you know, I'm trying to think was, did we actually explicitly do that? And initially, I don't think we did. I think what it was is I would say, okay, I'm just stuck in a meeting. Can you respond? And then I was slowly handing it over. And then now it's this agreement that he he's up to date with the school emails. He gets the, he responds to the daycare messages and I don't do that. Uh, but I think it's also okay that we can have that conversation with our partner and say, look, here are all of these things that we, right? I think mm-hmm. what's important here is the we conversation that we need to get done yes. because we don't want it to be a, I do all this and you just do that. You do nothing. You yeah. do nothing. No partner is going to want to come on board for that. So if we can kind of have that conversation of here, are all these things and you know, I'm overwhelmed, something's got to shift for me. What, what could you take or what can I offload? Can I give this part to you so that I don't have to keep managing it? And then the piece there is that to truly like hand it all the way over, <laughs> like, you know, don't then ask, did you pack the daycare bag or, <laughs> you know, yes. don't forget the daycare shoes and, and keep following up on that. But instead letting them, and I know Morgan, you, you and I both talk about this, that let our partners fail. Yeah. That, you know, if they forget the shoes, which my husband has forgotten the shoes for daycare. And then what happens? The same thing that I would have done. He would go and just drive them back drop them off and then continue on the day. But he's learned that he has to pack the shoes, right? Yes. And and it's really important. I love, can I jump? I'm sorry, I'm going to interrupt you, but like, I love that you told this story because we've, I've been bringing up so much these precedents. And so it seems like, um, it almost is hopeless then if my, if my precedents have been piled so high, what do I, what do I do? And you're telling a wonderful story about moving backwards and reversing some of these. And I think that's so important. And part of, you know, how you did that was you just started asking, started asking and to, and then it became an explicit conversation that you had where it was like, okay, this is the expectation that you're in charge of this. And that's exactly how you start to reverse some of these things. And also how you stop taking on more, which is like, I realize I RSVP'd to this party. Um, I'm going to put you in charge of the gift, right? Or next time I'm going to give that to you. So you start to raise awareness to some of these things that would normally be invisible and you're talking about them and you're also setting some sort of boundary around those. So I love how you guys did that. All right. I have one more story and I really debated about telling it. (laughs) 
So, so I'm pretty sure that I have always been the one to buy the diapers and the pull-ups and my daughter Mm -hmm. is now at the end of pull-up time. We're almost Mm -hmm. done with it, but we're not quite there yet. And (laughs) my partner is home. Um, and I'm out, I'm out at the office more now and he's at home. So (laughs) I saw the, the, the basket that I always nicely fill up, right? This is my thing. I can recognize it's my thing. I put the diapers or the pull-ups nicely in the basket on top of the dresser where we change her. And and I noticed the basket was getting lower. And the urge there was, oh, I'll just go order some more. I'll just put it on the grocery list. I thought, you know what? I'm not the one home. And just as a game, just to play, I decided to wait and watch. And I waited. And then I thought I had one more night and it was actually the night that we ran into pull-ups and my daughter now being, you know, she'll be three in a few months, the, the horror on her face that she would have oh. to put on this diaper from her dresser. And, <laughs> and then she just, you know, was flailing on the chair. Like, how could you daddy? Oh, and you know, like how gosh. painful it is to see that happen for my partner. But I can tell you, Morgan, my partner is now learning that he, he's got it. And, and he didn't yes. blame me. He didn't say, why didn't you do this? And, and of course, you know, this was, it was an unspoken agreement that I had always bought the diapers and pull-ups and yes. I was just sort of backing off completely, but it wasn't necessarily my job. Yes. It's our job together. Yes. And then him seeing the disappointment of his daughter was also impactful for him to learn that, oh, if I'm not paying attention to what she needs and some of the things that are happening for her, then this is going to happen. And it was a really good learning. And, uh, you know, I told my husband after, like, I knew it was coming. I had hit the diaper just in case. I would never have admitted it. (laughs) Never. (laughs) You know, we just, particularly during COVID, you know, laughter has been so important for us. (laughs) Totally. Right there with you. So oh, I love that. But that, I mean, you're just highlighting something that, you know, the reality of this, it's not always pretty. It's yeah. not easy. And you have to be intentional about these things. Um, you know, and, and, you know, like you said, you know, it's not your job. And so often we just kind of make this assumption or we act as if it is our job and we end up doing so much more than we need to do. So I love that story because I think a lot of people would really want to avoid their partner failing or their kid being disappointed. And it's Mm -hmm. like, these are, I mean, they're over it. Life has gone on. These are very small prices to pay, but now you've got a partner who is paying attention to these things. And that's really wonderful for all of you Mm -hmm. and your whole family will benefit from that. So just thinking about couples who are earlier on, what what would you say to them who are not, maybe they don't have kids yet. Maybe they don't even plan to have kids, but we know the mental load does exist with all relationships. So what would you say to those couples? I would say have really direct conversations around expectations. So if you plan on having kids, talk about what that looks like. Who does what? Who's staying home? Who's, you know, for the profession that I'm in, I was so naive about this when we had kids. We didn't have many conversations. And so we just fell into the roles that mm-hmm. we saw. And um, like I said, it didn't feel good to me. So I think, you know, people really need to bring some of these things to light to try to unearth them and talk about them before kids get involved. Um, again, the next is just, you know, we've talked so much about this, but just paying attention to these small unspoken agreements that start to be made in your relationship. And instead of um, doing them and never discussing them, try to make them really explicit. You know, one example for us lately is like, I can't rem- I don't know how it happened that I became the gift buyer. Mm. 
for everything. Mother's Day, his mm-hmm. mother. It's not, it's his mother. Why am I, but you know, these Morgan, sorts, you know how that happened. I know how it happens. <laughs> I know. Right. You know, and, and, and the holidays and birthdays and even our own children's birthdays. And so, you know, over the last couple of years, we'll be like, mother's, mother's Day's coming up. What are you going to do for your mom? You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, doing this from the beginning, I would be way more, you know, way ahead of where I am now. So I think if, mm-hmm. if you're listening to this and you're in a, in a new relationship or you're, you don't have kids, um, the more you can be really mindful about these little things and involving your partner instead of just relieving them of things and out of love and kindness, um, goes a long way down the road. Yes. Oh, that's fantastic. Morgan, I'm so thankful to be sitting with you again today. I have so enjoyed connecting with you and getting to know you and who you are and all of the wisdom that you have to offer us. I'm so thankful for your time here today and sharing all of this important information about the mental load. Thank you so much for having me. I love chatting with you about this and um, value, you know, the relationship we've built virtually here. Virtually. um, Yes, but I'm just so thankful for being here. So thank you for having me. Thank you. So where can we find you? Uh, You can find me on Instagram at mylovethinks or our blog, www.mylovethinks.com. And I have a new course on the mental load called The Mother Load. And um, helping couples unite, it's a couples course, helping couples unite to tackle the mental load. And you can learn about that from my Instagram or from the blog. Amazing. And I will have all the links on the show notes. And thank you again, Morgan. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you so much for tuning into another episode of I'm Not Your Shrink. I would love to hear from you. Come join me on Instagram at dr.tracyd or on Facebook, dr.tracydalglish, or subscribe to my newsletter. You can find it at www.drtracyd.com. And remember, you are right where you need to be. Remember, this podcast is strictly for informational purposes and does not substitute for mental health care from a licensed professional. What's up, guys? I'm Gabrielle Stone, host of FML Talk. After being love-bombed, married, and cheated on, trust me, I've got some perspective on love, heartbreak, trauma, and healing. FML Talk has become weekly therapy for my listeners, where I give you a safe space to heal with, of course, a few F-bombs thrown in. Fun girl talk episodes, solo episodes that will guide you on your healing journey, and guests with stories that will leave your jaw on the floor. Grab a cocktail and come hang with me every Wednesday on FML Talk.